0: Well, good morning and welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. If you're here for the very first time, we are preaching through a series on the book of Mark. The title of that series is called Incredible. And this morning we are preaching from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. We've entitled this morning's message, When Storms Come. When storms come, Jim Britt is experiencing a bit of a storm in his life right now. He's been eaten up with poison sumac, chigger bites all over his body. They've swollen, his arms are swollen, he doesn't know what's going on. He's been sick, he's also had a cold before that. He's in a bit of a storm. There are storms that we all experience. And this morning we're going to read about a particular storm that Jesus' disciples experienced in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Listen, the, the gospel of Mark, the gospels, this genre, is meant to reveal Jesus Christ to us, the Son of God. And as a matter of fact, with a focus on really his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this morning, we want to dig into the gospel of Mark. We want to ask God to reveal himself to us, even when the storms come, and especially when the storms come. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. If you don't own a Bible, we've got a table right back here with some Bibles. Please take one. It's our gift to you. If you have yours, turn there, look on with your neighbor. And before we read it, let's pray, shall we? Let's just pray for God's grace to understand who he is, but even more importantly, to experience him right now. I don't know what kind of storms you're going through, but in this moment, you would see God, Jesus Christ, revealed to you this morning through this word by his Holy Spirit. And it would draw your heart to him. You would worship him. So let's pray for that. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word Lord, as you would want it preached, faithful to the text. Father, that we would experience and understand exactly what you want us to experience and understand. That it would be as it were your voice speaking, your fingers reaching out to us, your spirit enlightening our minds, giving us understanding. Lord, encouraging our hearts. Yes, correcting where we need correction. But, oh Lord, we we need comfort. We need strength especially in the midst of the storm. So Lord, we cry out to you as we sang this morning in that song. Lord, save us. Change us. Redeem us. Build your church. Lord Jesus, you promise to do that. We believe you. We pray it happened now as your word is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read that text together. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, He, Jesus, said to them, his disciples. Remember, he's just chosen his 12 disciples, whom he would call apostles, in chapter 3. So he's speaking to these 12. Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great Calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? That question drives this. Text. It's the question that God answered the disciples that day on the sea in Galilee. It's the question that Mark answered the church in Rome some 30 years later when Mark wrote this gospel, which is the account of Peter of his experience with Jesus. Peter, who was the pastor of the church in Rome, Mark wrote this primarily for the church in Rome, a church that was in a great storm of oppression because Caesar was persecuting them. There was pressure and opposition on them. So he wrote it to that church that was in its own storm to reveal Christ to them. And oh friends, he writes it to us this morning. I don't know what storm you're in. I've got a few swirling about my life right now. And he's writing it to me. And here's the purpose for this. this perp- the purpose of this text isn't to tell you that God will deliver you from your storm. Oh, he will. And I thank him for that. But that's not the primary reason for this text. The primary reason for this text is to reveal God to you. Oh, really, Al? Al? then why did you entitle the message when storms come? Why didn't you entitle it when Jesus reveals himself to us? Here's why. Because God in his sovereignty so chose to reveal himself and still chooses to reveal himself through storms. The storms are designed to reveal God to us. That's how God has chosen often to reveal himself. It would not be the way we would want to reveal ourselves. Lord, I'll tell you what. Reveal yourself to me in a beautiful resort (laughs) on the ocean. Throw in some nice Starbucks coffee, flip-flops, shorts, T-shirt, cool breeze. I'm all ears, Lord. When are we going? But he doesn't choose to do that, my friends. He chooses to reveal himself to you through the storms. And because he's God, we must say, yes, Lord. I'm listening. Reveal yourself to me. Just as he revealed himself to the church in Rome that was under storm, just as he revealed himself to the disciples who were literally in the storm, and just as he reveals himself to us through the storms of our lives, it's in the midst of the storms and adversity of life that God reveals himself to us. He reveals who he really is, who we really are, and who others really are. Isn't it true? When you go through difficulties with somebody, you get to know them well, don't you? Like being in the hospital when you're pregnant and you're throwing up and you can't eat. You kind of learn something about yourself and each other. And if you go through it well and the storm doesn't kill you, you become closer, don't you? Well, the storm's not going to kill you because God's actually led you into the storm and it's going to cause you to come closer together. But most importantly, we know our God in that moment when all veneers have been stripped off, all religiosity has been stripped off, and all we have is either God saves us or he doesn't. It's at that moment that we're most alive. It's at that moment that God's clearest with us. I want you to hear that this morning, and that's what's happening right here. Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples in this powerful storm with the backdrop of a powerful storm raging on the Sea of Galilee. And they cry out in verse 41, Who then is this? It's the question we must all answer. It's the question that God is answering. It's the question that point one really deals with. Jesus reveals himself in the storm. Jesus reveals himself in the storm. If you look at verse 35, we see that the first thing that Jesus reveals about himself in the storm is that he's the one that leads us into the storm. Oh, wait a second. I don't like that. That's the kind of friend you are. That's the kind of Lord you are. I liked last week's message when God exercises authority to save me. Wait a second. God is exercising his authority to send me and lead me into a storm? Yes. This is our God. Yeah. And actually, isn't that comforting? Because let's be honest, folks. Our life is mostly storms. It's not resorts. It's not. We want it to be. It's not a weekend at Disney. Disney's wonderful. Go to Disney. Enjoy Disney. But is your life Disney? No. It's not Disney. So isn't it good that God leads us into the storms? Because if he didn't lead us into the storms, then somehow we got there apart from God's sovereign will. And now we got real problems, don't we? Listen, I understand that me telling you that God is the God who leads us into the storms creates a question. Why would you lead me into that storm? But there's a greater question that's created if I tell you that you're in that storm somehow apart from God leading you there. It's where's God? God's the one that leads us into the storm. And by the way, this storm, look at it again in verse 35. When the evening had come, it's at night. Listen, we're all from South Florida, or at least we live here now. And uh, we, the water is something we're very familiar with. Have you ever been just on the water at night? I'm talking. Now I'm not talking about a little cruise down some canal, some party boat. No, I'm talking about all the lights are off. You're out in the water. You can't see the shore at night. Have you ever been there? That alone will will scare you a bit. Now throw in some wind. That'll scare you even more. Now throw in some waves. That'll scare you even more. Now let me tell you that you're on that. That, that water, where you can't, see, uh, you can't see the shore, and you're in a boat that's 27 feet long. I don't know how much 27 feet is, but I'm imagining it could pretty much fit on this stage. That's the boat they were on. Archaeologists have actually found boats that are almost exactly like the boat they were on. And it's about four and a half feet Deep and about seven and a half feet wide. So, I don't know, it's about this wide, four and a half feet deep, and it's about 27 and a half feet long. And it's made to, ha- to house, or to um, carry, 15 adults. So you got it, right? Successful day of ministry. It says here, on that day when evening had come, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been casting out demons, right? He's been feeding people, he's been talking about the kingdom of God. Man, success. This ministry is moving, man. We are, it's happening here. Got a 15-passenger boat. He had just called his 12 disciples whom he called apostles in chapter 3. Guess what? Jesus says, I have a cruise for you guys. Step right in. We're on our way. Show the map, please. So, um, yeah, just don't put the laser in your eye out. So they're here in the area of Capernaum on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to head over to the eastern side here. He's, he's going to go cast out some demons a little bit later with the Gadarene demoniac. But he's over here, and he's going to head over here. I don't know how far that is, but if you look up there, I don't know, what do you think? About six, seven miles? Okay, it's far enough that you're out in the water, you can't see the coast, and it's dark and it's nighttime. How's that? So you're definitely on the seas. And and our text tells us that it was a great wind. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as some of you may know, is 700 feet below sea level. It's in a basin. And surrounding the Sea of Galilee are tall hills and even mountains to the north of the Sea of Galilee is, I believe, Mount Hermon, which is around six, 7,000 feet. So because of all these mountains and everything, you have cold air from the mountains, and it collides with the warm air from the water. And what can happen are these microbursts, a microburst. So all of a sudden, you're a seasoned sailor, you're, you're a fisherman, and out of nowhere comes this massive wind. In fact, the, the Greek use their hurricane force winds. So much so that we see in the text that the water starts coming over the edge of this four and a half foot boat. There's 12 or 13 or 14 guys in there and they are being swamped. So, in that context, first thing you've got to learn about God is he will lead you into that storm right there. Yes, he not only will, but does. Second thing we learn about Jesus it's found in verse 38, an amazing thing. Look at it with me, verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. First of all, 15 or 16 guys in this area. The wind is howling so much that everybody's freaking out. Seasoned sailors and fishermen are think they're going to die. Water is breaking in on the boat, so it's beginning to fill the boat and swamp the boat. Jesus is asleep on a cushion. What does that tell you about him? Well, beyond the obvious that he is a deep sleep sleeper, he can sleep well. (laughs) It tells you that Jesus, though fully God, and we'll get to that in a moment, that's going to be revealed in just a few verses, Jesus is fully man. That's big. Now, listen. He's been doing things that only God can do, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the kingdom of God, but he's a man as well. He's tired. It's nighttime. He's got the Alpino syndrome. His eyes start closing at nine o'clock at night, right? Do you have a child like that? They just go like crazy, and then when they stop, they just keel over and they sleep like right there, like in their chair, right? So he's tired. He's a human. He's a human. But something else that it tells us about Jesus, pay attention carefully. Mark and Peter, I believe, specifically wanted us to think about someone else that fell asleep in a boat in a great storm. Who do you think that might be? If you're not a Christian and you're here for the very first time, thank you for coming. If you're a Christian that doesn't know your Bible, thank you for coming. I want you to read your Bible. And if you're a Christian that's, you know your Bible, you kind of suspect who I'm talking about, Right? Jonah, the Jewish prophet Jonah was also asleep in a boat in the midst of a storm. And God, through Mark, wants us to think about Jonah right now. So I want you to think about Jonah. They're purposely getting you to start thinking about Jonah and Jesus here. Because Jonah was running from God and he was running from God's call Because God had called him to preach to a bunch of pagans in a city called Nineveh, the enemies of Israel. And it says in Jonah chapter 1, as a matter of fact, Jonah 1 and this this narrative are very similar, very parallel here. And it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, kind of sounds like this narrative, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, seasoned sailors were afraid. That was a bad storm. These guys were all seasoned sailors. Remember, these were were fishermen. Were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So we're going to talk about Jonah a little bit more as we progress in this sermon, but keep Jonah as a place marker in your brain, okay? And the final thing we see about Jesus is that he fully trusted his Father because Jesus was able to sleep on a cushion and not fear dying on a storm in a little boat with 12 or 13 other guys because he understood that God the Father had sent him to this earth not to die on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, but to die on a hill outside Jerusalem on a cross. Lottie Moon... A very well-known missionary, the Southern Baptists, she was a missionary to China in the 1800s, said it this way, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. Amen. (laughs) Nothing can happen to you or me that God does not allow. Now it begs the question, why would God allow it? Okay, that's the first question. But nothing can happen to you unless God allowed it. You, no one dies prematurely. No one. We can ask why, particularly when infants pass or a young mother or a young father. But God has a purpose, and you will not die until that purpose is done in your life. Disciples didn't get that. Look at verse 38. They run up on Jesus. Verse 38b, with the waves breaking over the the stern Over the ship's walls, and Jesus asleep on the stern, and they run up to him. And though they show him respect, teacher, notice there's a comma there, but now they're going to show him disrespect and doubt and unbelief. Do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, friends. Don't we ask the same question of God when we find ourselves in storms that are just buffeting us and the water's breaking over the, the, our boat and we don't know. We're not going to make it. Is this boat going to make it? Am I going to make it? We ask the same questions. What storms has God led you into right now? And what questions do you find yourself screaming at Jesus? I mean, okay, Think about it for a second. I, I remember Hurricane Wilma, 2010. A couple of things about Wilma. Don't ever do this. Don't ever send your oldest daughter outside into a hurricane to check to see if the fence is okay. As soon as she stepped outside, I went, I'm losing Vanessa forever. I mean, I, yeah, there she goes. She's hanging on the side of the building with her legs, you know, up to the side. But number two, I, I actually thought our roof was coming off. I mean, Wilma was a was real deal. Everybody's like, ah, Wilma. Wilma was serious. I mean, we were without electricity for like 10 days in Wilma. I mean, at one point, I thought I saw the roof separating, And and Joey was like right in that corner. I was like yelling at him, get out of there. And I remember just thinking, I was looking out the back of my door. I was saying, like, could you stop this now? Is there a button I can push? Can, Can we stop these howling winds? Of course, I couldn't. I was powerless. And the howling winds of your circumstance right now, though not physical, emotional, relational, financial, theological, whatever they are, They're howling and you just want to say, stop it. And in the midst of it, these guys are, are, they had to be screaming, right? It's loud. They got to be going, don't you care that we're perishing? All 12 of them. You know, the boats, you know, the water's coming in, the wind's howling. They're screaming at Jesus. What are you screaming at God right now? What am I screaming at God? How are we questioning his Goodness, he's all good. His power, he's all powerful. His knowledge, he's all knowing. We're saying, listen, God, have you forgotten me? Do you know where I'm at right now? Are you you sleeping? Where are you? Here is what God reveals to us in this text. God is not indifferent to the storms in our lives. On the contrary, He is the one who has led us into them in order to reveal himself to us to build our faith. And that is what happens here in verse 39. Look at it with me. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind. Similar word there to when he cast out demons earlier in Mark. He rebuked the wind. He took authority over creation because he's God. And said to the sea, he speaks to the sea. I was speaking to that hurricane to no effect. Jesus speaks to a hurricane and it stops. He spoke to the sea and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Remember that word great, a great windstorm? Here in verse 39, there's a great calm because the great God brought the great calm. And he said to them, so he does that. I just can imagine. You know, like, all of a sudden, ah, zoom. I remember jumping out of an airplane. I did it eight times. Because I wanted to prove that I was a macho man. What was wrong with me? And the first time, man, you just up, in, you're in the door. It's like, I mean, it's just so loud. The doors are open. You're in an airplane, up in the sky. And you jump. And you're just like, ah, and it's total silence. It's actually beautiful. I, I, it's horrifying, but it's beautiful. Because <laughs> it's absolute, total silence. Until the other guys in the air around you are going, hey, Peter! And they're going by you, you know, and you're yelling at them. But the silence is jarring. Imagine the storm, and it just goes, Zoom! And in the silence... And, and the disciples are freaking out now. because While his sleep told them he was fully man, what he just did, they were starting to get it, even them, even us. Huh, is this is God here. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. And he just turns to them in the silence and he goes. He asks them two questions. Look at the questions he asks them. In verse 40, he said to them, now remember, total silence. They're screaming their question to him. He's speaking in a conversational tone because there's total silence. Is what he asked them. Why are you so afraid? Second question, have you still no fear? And it's the same question that God asks us this morning. And he doesn't ask it in anger, he doesn't ask it frustrated, he doesn't ask it. He's actually so patient with these guys. Because, see, I'm thinking, why am I so afraid? Because this is a huge storm and we were dying. But his second question is, actually gets to his main point in this text. God leads us into storms to reveal himself to us, that he's well aware of our storms, that he is fully God and fully man. He's experienced every temptation we've experienced, yet without sin. And here's his purpose, to reveal himself to us so that we would grow in faith. I love the last great, the last use of the word great is in verse 41. And they were filled with what? Great fear. Starts with a great windstorm, moves to a great calm, and actually their fear was greater at that point than the fear they had of the windstorm. Nature howling at them was very terrifying, but realizing they were in the presence of God, when you fear God, That's a wonderful antidote to the fear of anything or anyone else. Nobody can do anything to you that God doesn't allow. Nothing can happen to you that God does not allow. I remember Kurt Allen. He's a rapper that's a pastor up in Maryland. His rap name is Voice. Was telling me about being in Bolivia on the most dangerous highway in the world. Which my daughter went on several times. And I always freaked out when I knew she was there and literally you're balancing on the edge of thousand foot cliffs and there's burning there's not burning but car wrecks everywhere lots of people die there and kurt said he was hanging out the window everybody was freaking out in the bus oh and it's a bus you know some bolivian bus driver who's like 800 years old is driving it you know And he's hanging out the bus laughing. If you knew Kurt Allen, he's a huge black man and just booming voice. And he said, yeah, Al. He said, yeah, nothing can happen to me that God doesn't allow. I'm going to be here until I'm done. God's done with me. And he was laughing, screaming. I mean, he was like poking his head out the window, looking down several thousand feet. I said, all right, Kurt, that's probably taking a little too far. You're the kind of guy that raises his hand on roller coasters, not me, okay? I'm still being conservative. Oh, God, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. Please, God. (laughs) But he's right. He's right. Your wor- Listen, Scripture says it this way Your worry cannot add one cubit to your life. Not one. That's Matthew 6. None. Of course, we worry like crazy, don't we? But it's futile. Jesus wants to build our faith. He wants us to answer the question, the final question that drives this text in verse 41. When they're filled with the great fear, look at it. And they said to one another in the silence of the total tranquility of a sea that had been raging, raging with wind and waves that were going to swamp them. And it's totally quiet now. And they turn. And I don't know who said it, but I imagine it was Peter. Because, you know, Peter is narrating this to Mark. And Peter typically was the first guy to speak. Like I told you, I think Peter was Cuban. He would often speak and then think. And they said to one another, although here he thought and then spoke, who then is this, comma, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Listen, Mark and Peter were thinking of Psalm 107, aren't you? (laughs) Well, they were because they're Jewish and they would understand what's going on. But we can learn from them. You see, Psalm 107 here on the screen is the psalm penned by the psalmist to describe God. And watch how it describes Him. Psalm 107 verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Sounds just like our narrative here, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like what happened to Jonah in Jonah 1, doesn't it? They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. That describes the first part of our narrative. When they're screaming at the Lord, don't you care what's happening to us? Look at verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Thank you, Alex, for reminding us. He is the God that saves us from the Psalms. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad That the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, O friends, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I'll tell you who this is then, who the waves and the sea obey. This is God incarnate. That's exactly the purpose of this text. This is the one who commands the sea. This is the one that Psalm 107 spoke of. This is the God who alone can rescue his people, stilling the storms and hushing the waves of the sea. And that leads us to point two. Jesus rescues us from the storm. Oh, friends, this is where Jonah comes back into the story. Because you see, Mark, on purpose, was thinking of Jonah. And I believe that though the detail is absolutely correct, only Peter would remember his head was on a cushion. Such detail here. I mean, this narrative jumps out at you in Mark, much more so than in the other Gospels. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is likened unto Jonah. And this parallel is worked by the the biblical authors, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. Jonah, this prophet who was running away from God... See, the contrast is important. Unlike Jonah, Jesus is running toward God's will. He's God in the flesh. He's not running from God's call. He's running to God's call. He's running to the cross, metaphorically speaking. But you see, like Jesus, if you go back to Jonah 1, the only solution for these uh, sailors who are caught in the storm that's going to break their ship apart and kill them all is to find the offending person and get rid of him. And so they figure out it's Jonah, it must be the only guy sleeping. And they then find out that he's running from God's call and they freak out. And so Jonah says, just throw me in the water and God will stop the storm. And they go, no, 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 throw me in the water. No, 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 throw me in the water. No, no, no. And Jonah willingly said, throw me in the water. And they threw him in the water and the water stopped and the storm stopped. And there is the parallel. Because Jesus willingly goes to the cross And Jesus willingly says, I'm going to that cross because when I go on that cross, I'm going to absorb the fierce wrath of the storm that God puts on all of us and we deserve it. I'm going to take it. And on that cross, that raging storm is going to stop for all who repent and believe. That is what Mark's wanting to preach. It's a little bit hidden here. It's going to be revealed further on, beginning, starting in verse 8 or chapter 8. And when they throw Jonah in, he goes into the belly of a great fish for how many days? Three. And he emerges, the the fish spitting him out on the land, and he goes on and fulfills God's call, and he preaches to Nineveh, and they repent, and Jesus Christ, who was thrown into the waters, who went on that cross to still the raging storm of God's wrath, went into the grave, and three days later emerges victorious. This is our God. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah simply pointed to Jesus. Jesus rescues us from the storm because he's God incarnate. Danny Akin in his wonderful um, commentary on this passage says the following, I believe the quote's on the screen. The parallels between Jesus stilling the storm and the story of Jonah should not surprise us. Jesus called himself the true Jonah in Matthew 12, 40. He is the true Jonah who was consumed by the stormy sea of God's wrath as he hung on the cross. He endured the storm so that we could find peace and be saved. Jesus calmed the only storm that could truly drown us. God's wrath and judgment he went down in the storm only to emerge three days later as the one who stilled the just and righteous wrath of God against sinners. Dear Christian, in your storm, I don't know what your storm is right now, in your storm, what I'm praying is that instead of asking, God, have you forgotten me? You would ask, God How do you want to reveal yourself to me in this storm? Listen, because he's he's God and he led you in it, this is a unique opportunity for you to learn about God. It's exciting, actually. This is how James could say, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. I don't like the trials, but it's an opportunity to get to know my God better. And it's where he chooses to reveal himself to you and me. So that's the question I want to ask God. Not yell at him, have you forgotten me? Don't you know I'm perishing? But say, okay, Lord, how do you want to reveal yourself to me here? Sometimes through tears. And dear non-Christian, oh, friend, I I don't know everyone here. There's some faces I've never seen before. Can I, I just appeal to you? There is a storm coming for, for you that no one can deliver you from that's greater than any problem in your life. It is the storm of God's righteous wrath against your sin. And there's only one that can deliver you and that's Jesus. Would you repent and believe on him this morning? That's the appeal. God is not indifferent to us, church. God has not forgotten us, church. God has led us into these storms to build our faith. May we stop and consider this God who has led us into our present circumstances. I want to ask you to just thank him for it sometime today. Count it all joy, my brethren. It's supernatural, I realize. The world doesn't think this way. I get that. This is where the gospel effects change in us. I'm going to ask you to show, ask God to show you what aspect of him, his character, his purpose he wants to reveal to you in this storm. Get your eyes off the storm. Get your eyes on God. Get your eyes off the people that are either hurting you or disappointing you or not giving you what you want or the circumstances or the job or the economy or whatever. Think about God more than about all those. God will give you understanding. God will bless you. God has led you into this to reveal himself to you, to build your faith because he loves you very much. Let's pray. Lord, your word tells us here that you have the power to speak to the storm and the winds and the sea and say, Peace, be still. And Lord, I I do want that. that, that There's a particular storm raging around me right now that quite frankly, I I feel like I felt in Wilma. I'm standing outside or I'm standing at my back door looking at objects flying around and my home being destroyed and power lines exploding around me. And I'm really afraid and I'm really just saying, could you please stop it? And, and, Lord, it may be your will to stop it. It may, it may not be. But, Lord, I want to change my prayer. I want to say, Lord, in the midst of the storm, Father, build my faith that in the midst of the storm, I would see you more clearly. My friends would see you more clearly. We would, we, would, we would love you because you first loved us. And, Jesus, you took the storm of God's wrath for us. And so I pray that for us, Let us be impressed with you. Let us fear you. Let us not be impressed or in awe at the storm or others or what they can or can't do or circumstances or economies or nations or any of that stuff. Oh, Lord, let us be impressed and in awe and fear you in the right way for you trump them all. You're the great God. May your will be done, Father. Your kingdom come in our lives in this church as it is in heaven. And to that end, we will sing and pray, a mighty fortress is our God.